The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest, Karen Thomas, is about to share her NDE story from July 7th, 1982. Recently, Karen followed up with a surgeon who saved her life, and he remembers that day even after nearly 35 years. Karen experienced a vision of prayers, which appeared like she describes them as musical notes that she saw rising up to her from people praying for her, especially the prayer of her nine-year-old daughter. Karen, welcome to NDE Radio. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here this morning. How are you, Lee? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's good to hear your voice. Um, Karen, I'm just going to let you uh, tell the folks about uh, what happened to you all all that time ago. Okay. Well, at that time, um, I was 32 years old. I was a physical therapist. And I was working in Alaska where my husband and I and our two young children had moved so that he could work on the oil field repair. Um, And uh, I had a job as a a full-time physical therapist at Alaska Hospital and Medical Center. And um, during my work there, um, I had sustained a ruptured disc in my back. And as it turns out, it it was something that needed to be treated surgically. And I had had surgery for a ruptured disc about five years prior to that as well. So um, we had tried conservative treatment and um, had tried everything that we could think of to avoid surgery, but it did actually come down to needing to have surgery. And so during that time period when I couldn't work and before surgery, um, I was spending quite a bit of time in um, in prayer and in uh, Bible study and, because we had become members of a, a very spirit-filled church while we were there. And um, and so it was quite a, uh, a change for me to, to feel so strongly that um, I, I should contact people both back in New York State where we had moved from, where all our family still was, and in our local church, and ask a number of people to pray for me after I got a, a date scheduled for my surgery. Um, yes. And I felt a little funny doing that, you know, because I had had that surgery, you know, or what I thought was going to be the same surgery five years before, and it never entered my mind to ask people to pray for me at that time. But um, mm. I felt like it was, you know, something that... Um, that was needed, and I had been going through this period of time where I felt like I was almost preparing for a test, but I couldn't figure out why I felt like that. So I was really deeply um, into my Bible and into um, into prayer and felt a spiritual challenge, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. So um, what happened was the day of the surgery, um, I was brought in as one of the first in the morning surgeries. My husband and the two children, who were nine and six, my daughter nine and son six, um, were there, all there at the hospital with me. And, um, you know, 
went with me as on the stretcher as far as they could and uh, said their goodbyes and then were sent to a waiting room and I was brought into the OR. And once I was in the OR and I was given anesthesia, that was the last thing that I was actively aware of, of, of course, once you're under anesthesia. But suddenly I was fully aware and I was up so close to the ceiling in the corner of the room that I remember being just inches away from the ceiling tiles. And for whatever reason, that was the direction I was looking until I heard all of this loud noise and sound of a surgeon swearing and and people rushing. And, and so my attention was drawn back, and I saw my own body on the operating room table. And rather being than being face down, as I had been, to prepare to operate on my back, um, I was face up. And so I could see how pale my skin was and and how how terribly frantic everybody was in that OR room. And yet I was completely calm and peaceful. And I just simply, you know, took it in as though, oh, that's me. But I began to feel drawn to, to getting to my husband and my children. So I began to drift, and I literally drifted through the wall of the operating room and out into a hallway, and then down this hallway and through double doors that entered into the operating suite and was drifting in the direction that I thought that this waiting room was. And before I got there... Um, my attention was drawn by a man who came rushing, and something inside me said, pay attention to this. This is important. And this man came rushing past the open elevator doors, and he was in a brown jacket of some sort, seemed to be carrying a bag. He was really, really anxious and rushing toward the double um, doors to the OR suite. And I could suddenly hear his thoughts telepathically. Unlike the sounds that I heard in the OR room, these were telepathic thoughts. And there was another man near that doorway also. And the, the man who was rushing, his thoughts were, I need to get in there. I've got to get in there fast. And the other man's thoughts were, what is this guy in street clothes doing trying to get into the operating suite. <laughs> shouldn't be allowed in there. You know, so I was getting kind of this by-play of both thoughts. Yes. <laughs> and, and I really thought that they were kind of talking to one another, especially when the one fellow who was rushing slowed down by the doors. And I thought, oh, he's, he's going to have to be stopped. He's going to, you know, have to maybe show his ID to the other man. I didn't know what was going on quite but I just kind of took this scene in and took in these thoughts as it happened. But right about that oh, moment, when he was actually, bless you, he was actually able to get through the doors and into the OR suite, then it was, it was as though my volition was no longer moving me where I, I wanted to go, like toward the waiting room where, where my husband and children were. Yes. And suddenly it was as though my volition was gone, and it was 
almost like, have you ever seen the tractor beam in the like the Star Wars movies and stuff where <laughs> yes. it heads out to a ship and then it begins to draw it? You know, and that's what happened to me. I was, it, it hooked on to me and I was drawn upward instead of horizontally like I was going. And it drew me upward and literally through the floor of, of one floor it, into the the ceiling and into the next floor and then through a ceiling and I'm seeing things like, you know, heat ducts and things like that, that wires that run between floors. Mm-hmm. And and I eventually I'm I'm pulled completely out of the roof of the hospital and up into the air. Um and in Anchorage, Alaska, which is where I was, right behind the hospital area was the mountain range. And I remember being up at the height of an airplane and, and seeing clearly the mountain range and and then being drawn horizontally again and swiftly over the the city itself and out toward the bay. And I remember at that point thinking, wait a minute, I'm I'm going so fast. There should I should feel air rushing past. I should feel that it's cooler here than it was in the hospital. I should be feeling these things, and I didn't feel any of it. Um, and so anyway, I'm rushing over the city, and as it's getting to the point where it would be over the water, suddenly there was the entrance of like a very, very dark um, cave. And, mm. and I'm into this cave, and everything is black surrounding and going around me. And at that point, I can't see anything at all except in the very, very far distance a tiny little blink of light. And in the in the blink of an eye, and again I'm going to compare back to Star Wars because they have going into hyperspeed where it goes from they're, they're traveling quickly until, until they're traveling beyond quickly and it's super, super fast. And that speed just accelerated unbelievably at that point as I went toward this light which was getting bigger and bigger. And then... The next thing I knew, I'm pulled right into this full, brilliant light. And at that point, the calm that I'd been feeling before um, was completely replaced with not just a, a sense of calm, but a sense of overwhelming love and overwhelming peace and security. And I was just in this immense feeling of love. As, as I came into the light. And once I in, was in the light, I actually kind of looked, where am I? What, what is this setting? And as I looked, I noticed that I didn't, I didn't see any place where my feet should be. I didn't see anything. But I did see like a brown and rocky ground. And the whole area was very kind of desolate and, and rocky. And mm-hmm. once again, telepathically, my attention was drawn off to my left, and there was a man who was climbing up an incline, and telepathically, he was saying to me, follow me. And as soon as he said that, I was like right behind him, like within a couple of feet behind him on this incline. Yes. And so I was taking in his appearance and looking at his long, dark hair tied back with a leather thong and um, a short toga-like um, off-white 
garment that he was wearing and sandals with leather that wrapped up around his calves. And as I'm taking this in, I'm thinking, I expected to see Jesus if I'm dead. I thought my my first encounter would be with Jesus. And this man was clearly not Jesus. And that puzzled me, and I didn't know who he was. And yet I felt very close to him and drawn to him. And as we came up over um, the edge of this incline, the, the entire scene changed completely. And now it was a brilliant, beautiful meadow. And the greenest greens and the most beautiful flowers. And what I noticed at that point that I hadn't noticed in the earlier scene is that there was no sun in the sky. The light emanated from everywhere and from everything. And that there was light being given off by the grass that was brilliantly green. And each of the flowers um, had like a neon glow to them that they were giving off light as well. And in the distance, there were trees. And it was the same thing with the trees. Everything had this amazing light about it and around it and through it. And as, as I was looking at all of this closely, my guide had gone on ahead. And once again, telepathically, he said, follow me, come here. And I was instantly across the meadow and up at the edge of water. And at this point, um, I noticed that this was a river, kind of a, not that wide a river, but the water in it was so brilliant, like everything else. It was glistening like diamonds. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, this is the living waters. This is the water of life. You know, and as I saw, saw that, right across from it, were all of my deceased relatives in a big group. And I saw my father immediately and my brother, and I recognized grandparents who had died before I was born, but somehow I knew that that's who they were, and everyone was just so happy. They were just so thrilled that that we were together again, that, you know, it was the greatest homecoming you could imagine. (laughs) And I... I wanted so much to get across that water and to be with them. Yes. And, uh, and my guide again said to me, no, we have somewhere else to go first before you can, can do anything. You need to follow me. So reluctantly, um, I, I followed him down along the bank of the river and around a bend. And as we came around this bend, um, we came into kind of an opening area, and right in the middle of it and filling this huge area was the closest thing I can compare it to really is kind of like a, a Greek temple, um, but it was like a pearlescent white. It was so vibrantly white and had columns in front and a huge line of stairs going up to the, the main entrance to it, and there were many other... Um, beings that were there that were uh, dressed in gowns and and coming and going up the stairs, down the stairs, talking in small groups at the at the foot of the stairs and and my guide said to me, "We're going in here," and we were instantly up the stairs and going into the entrance. 
and as we entered inside, it was an, it became an enormous library, and this library had not just single stories but several stories, completely filled with books and scrolls, and um, and then through the center of the room were all of these different tables, and and different beings were at the tables, and they were looking at individual books. And this was when my guide said to me, this is where the Book of Life is stored. And I thought, you know, this is so amazing. I was just so amazed at everything. Of course. And, yeah. And he said, well, come with me. We have another room that we're going to. So we continued down through the through this whole open area, and then into a, a hallway and into a much smaller room. And already in this room, there were a number of beings who were sitting around like an oval area. And in the middle of the oval, I've compared it kind of like to um, a glass-bottom boat um, in that it was, it was clear, it was open, it was like a screen. But what they were able to do... Um, these beings, they were able to make this whole screen area become like a hologram. And they said that we're going to review your life. And I, I got the sensation that these people knew me very, very well. And these people had helped me when I decided to be born and, and live this life. They had helped plan what things I wanted to experience in my life and what would help me grow spiritually the mm -hmm. most if I experienced them. And so we were all together and with my guide, and this whole life review began. And it was not, in my experience, it was not like watching a movie or a, a film strip because I was able to be myself again in all these different events in my life, but I was also able to be the main person I was interacting with. So if it was, say, an incident where I had become angry or I had, had said something mean to someone, I would feel what that person felt when I said that. And then I would also see and feel how that person took that feeling and emotion and went into the rest of their day and what, how they impacted other people themselves, like a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. and, and also the good things that way, you know, some good things that um, I hadn't given a second thought to. Um, and yet uh, it was an experience that was a strong positive for someone else, and it made a difference to them and in a positive way. So it, it was a very fast, it seemed, but very uh, strong emotional sensation of realizing just how interconnected we all are and how important even sometimes the smallest of choices um, can be when it comes to that interconnectedness with other people. So it was, it was a really impactful experience. And um, I remember also being shown, you know, I was, it was expressed to me, you can return to your life 
or you can stay. You can stay at this time, but let us show you some of the things in your life if you return to it um, that you may want to look at and may want to experience for the for the benefit that they can have, not just to you and your spiritual growth, but to the other people that you'll impact. So they showed me future events. And, um, you know, I got to see, again, if I went back, um, what would definitely happen and also some potentials. You know, and it was shown to me that some things aren't definite because so many other people are involved with their own choices and they have free will as you do. And so they may not choose the things that would bring this about to happen. But this is potentially something that can happen. Yes. So um, it was really, it was so interesting to see. And at this point, it's a, it's a point where I know something else happened. But it has been erased from my memory. Um, I don't know where I went at that point. I don't know who I encountered at that point. But I know there was more. And that's all that I know is that there was more. Then my memory picks up again. And at the point where my memory picks up again, I'm with my guide in a totally different spot. And he says, I'll show you what's happening in the hospital. And then I was able to see um, my children on a, a couch in the waiting room, my husband standing over at a doorway, and the doctor who had done my back surgery standing facing him, my husband in the doorway, in his green surgical garbs and, and everything except the hairnet thing that, or the, the face mask thing. He did have the hairnet thing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to my husband, and I could see you know, the children there. And also at this point, I could see that the people that I had contacted and asked to pray for me, that their prayers were being represented to me visually as though each prayer was a musical note. And each prayer from each person back in New York, there in Alaska, created a, a different musical note that linked to the one before it. And, and they all linked together, and they were coming higher and higher and coming closer and closer to where I was. And then my daughter, in fear from the doctor standing there that I was either already dead or had died <laughs> or was about to, prayed for me and prayed for me to live. And her last prayer kind of was the last link in this whole link of prayers. And at that point, it was as though all of the emotion that I hadn't been feeling about my life up to this point um, came back to me and came rushing back into me, and I felt the emotion of of sorrow for my, my children and my husband, and I felt, you know, how awful it would be, you know, I happen to have been a child myself uh, at almost the age that my daughter was then. I was only seven, and I was in my with my father and my mother in a boat on the St. Lawrence River, and my father died of a heart attack. And at that point in time as a, a child, I had prayed 
so hard that I want him to live and survive this heart attack, and yet he died. And I remember feeling um, as though I wasn't good enough. You know, somehow Jimmy could pray for his dog Lassie, and Lassie lived, you know, and Lassie was yes. just died, but, but my prayers didn't save my father. You know, so um, I just uh, knew at that point that my children needed to have me in their life as they continued to grow up and that I wanted to be there to be a part of their life. So um, so I decided at that point, yes, I will go back. I'll return to my life. And then the very next thing I was aware of, I don't remember a return trip like the, the trip there. I only remember waking up from anesthesia and recovery and having my husband and, and the children there beside me and and knowing my guide had told me he would give me or I would have proof that I had actually truly been on the other side and that I would not have any doubt, you know, that my logical mind, I'm an analytical sort of a person, so I would be trying to talk myself out of things, you know. And so mm. when I woke up, there was just no mistaking it because that entire feeling of tremendous love and peace, what I call the peace that passes all understanding, um, just surrounded me, filled me. It was actually like being inside a protective bubble. And that that was just nothing I had felt before, and it was absolute proof to me that of where I had been. And, um, and it continued for about three weeks afterward as I was going through ICU and, and uh, then in the hospital for a total of 12 days and returning home. And you know, even though everything was kind of touch and go, I knew I was going to be all right. I knew I was back for the, the reasons that I had chosen to come back. Yes. Karen, we only have a, a couple minutes left, um, but uh, tell us a little about some of the verification that you got from uh, your doctor uh, about the about this event. Yes, um, when I when I was still in the hospital, um, he came in for follow up visits, and it turned out that this is the doctor that was called in to repair the artery that had been caught in surgery, and the reason that I had bled out. Um, when he came into my hospital room, I recognized him as the doctor that I had seen rushing toward the, the uh, OR doors. And in a follow-up visit to his office, I made up my mind to ask him, tell him that I had had this experience and ask him um, about what I had seen and, and if that, in fact, was what happened. And he confirmed to me that he had been in his office that day and that's why he was in street clothes. And, yes, he did get called in stat to try to save me and that he had come rushing in, you know, to the OR in his street clothes. And, you know, that, yes, that was, in fact, what, what had happened. So that confirmed to me that part of what I had literally seen when I was out of, out of body. Oh. And how has this uh, affected your life since then? It's affected it tremendously because at the point before I was went into surgery, as I told you, I was involved, very actively involved with the church, but it was a very fundamentalist um, 
church, and I had this deep set feeling that I um, people had to receive um, a baptism of the Holy Spirit in order for them to really be saved, and that in order to be saved and, and live um, eternally, that these parameters, this litmus, litmus test, if you will, would have to be met. And so I always felt, you know, not feeling that way, it, it made you judgmental because you were judgmental of yourself falling short of not having this. You were judgmental of anyone who didn't, didn't behave as though they had experienced anything like that, and, and it made you try to convince other people that they had to do this, and none of that was there. When I was on the other side, there was just no judgment whatsoever. Um, there was only love, and so I felt very out of place in church for a long time afterward. It was almost like fingers on a chalkboard when there would be sermons about judgment and about, you know, separating the sheep and the goats and um, and people going burning in hell and things like that. It just, it just grated so badly against my experience that I, I became a, a very different person in mm. terms of how I felt about what I thought I knew before. Um, well, Karen, that, that's that's uh, it's such an amazing story, and I'm so glad you you took the time to come on the show and tell us about it. Would you be interested in uh, telling our audience how um, anyone might get in touch with you? Would you like to give them an email address? Oh, certainly, I don't mind at all. Um, yeah, my email address is b as in boy l a n c E-T-H at live, L-I-V-E, dot com. And uh, yes, I'd love to, to speak with anyone if they have continued questions or right. or anything that they, they might have that they'd like to talk with me about. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. Uh, thank you for sharing your uh, NDE experience with us today. If anyone would like to listen to this again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANS, check that out at iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.